With a clap of thunder, God saved Samuel and his people. Samuel gathered the people and raised an Ebenezer, a pile of stones. It represented God's help to this point, and surely this help would continue. Surely they are on some sort of path, an adventure with the Most High God in a promised land. Like the ancient Israelites, God is calling us to adventure, to walk with Him. But this path is not without struggle. It can feel like it lacks direction as it felt to the Hebrew people. It is important to come together, to remember, to raise an Ebenezer and say, look what God is doing. At the milestones, we reorient together. We gather tools to prepare for the next leg of the journey. We might gather and reorient around the Word of God. We might take a season to slow and pray, seek clarity. We might discuss the needs of the church, remind ourselves of its mission, and take action. We remember the poor. We remember compassion. We gather with friends that are in similar places of the journey. We share what we have learned on our journey with those that are just starting out. We take a season to stop and take notice, to awaken our senses to the beauty of God's creation. At each milestone marker, we gather, we learn, we reflect, we grow, and we move closer to Christ, to live in this world as we ought to live in His image. These are our milestones, where we say God has helped us this far. Surely, He will continue. Well, good morning. My name is Jason, and I am the Milestone Director here at Lakeland. And if I could um, have you pull up the image, I want to direct your attention to a map. So last week, we talked about introducing this thing called the Milestone Journey. It's something we've been doing with our kids for years, but we thought as our kids have grown and developed, we've provided this way for people to gather, for families to gather along and, and nurture their kids through spiritual development. What if we did that also for adults? And so what we've created, you see the kids' journey, it's very complete down at the bottom. Up at the top, we're creating now a milestone path, a journey for adults. And as we talked about last week, this is a place or the things that we can do one season per year where you might come and say, I'm going to take this milestone this year and for five or six weeks, you gather and turn up the spiritual intensity in your home, and we'll do some things together. But what we didn't talk about is that this is actually all based on um, stages of faith. For kids, it was very easy to map out what, what does spiritual growth look like, because they go through natural developmental stages. Well, what we've found from ancient, ancient teachings, as discovered, is that in Christian formation, in Christian discipleship, in Christian spiritual growth, it also tends to come in stages. And so we are going to talk about that today. We're going to pull back the curtain on the milestone journey and see what it is that creates the path for us. And uh, we happen to have a resident expert on this very thing. 
Every spiritual director that I've talked to references what he's going to be talking about, and Dan's picking up a PhD in this sort of thing. And so Dan's going to come up, and he's going to talk to us about something called the critical journey. And he'll talk about where it came from and how it's emerged today. But our milestone path is based on this. So as we go through, there's going to be a card, and I'm going to have you go through. And if you want to pull that actually out of your program right now, that'd be great. As he's talking, there's going to be some moments where you can start to to evaluate where you think you are perhaps on this journey. I'll give you one example just to get us started. Um, On the first one, it says where I want to take a class. Notice where it says I'm not interested, mildly interested, very interested. For each of these stages, he's going to be talking about different things and characteristics that fit. And you can go through this card and you might say, huh, that sounds like something I would be interested in. The activity they're doing interests me or doesn't interest me. That's going to help you hopefully discern where you are. But let's turn it over to Dan and hear a little bit about this critical journey. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Welcome, everyone. Let's dig into the teaching. We're going to start off with a couple of Bible passages that sound very similar. Um, And this will set the stage for what we're talking about. These passages talk about milk and solid food. And I'll just warn you, They are not very kind passages. I know oftentimes we think the Bible has nothing but kindness in it, but this is rather critical of the church. This is in the New Testament. The first passage is from the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, and the second one is from uh, the, the sermon, basically, that we call Hebrews in the New Testament. So here's the first one from Paul. This is Paul's writing, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And so, brothers and sisters... I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For as long as there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another says, I belong to Apollos, Are you not merely human? We find the same critical voice for the author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Get the tone? You should be further along. You should be more mature. For Paul, immaturity looks like some very basic moral things. Some very interesting, just basic uh, character things. You should not be jealous. You should not quarrel. You should not play favorites. For Hebrews, the spiritually mature is even just more basic. You should be able to distinguish between good and evil. Basic morality marks progress for everyone in spiritual growth. I mean, think about this. Ponder this with me. The Ten Commandments, thou shall not steal, thou shall not lie, and all that sort of thing. Those aren't exactly some real high bar that has been set out there that no one could ever even think of or attain. I mean, the basic Ten Commandments are something really, really quite low. They're a real foundation principle for what it means to be a human. And yet, apparently, 
in Corinth, people are still struggling with very basic things about judging other people and quarreling and playing favorites and being snarky and this sort of thing. You see, everyone, everyone is progressing on their faith. This has very little to do with whether or not one has salvation. This has everything to do with spiritual maturity. We don't work our way to heaven, so let's get over that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a complete gift. It's a grace from from Christ on the cross. A gift. What we're talking about is making progress through the years, over the seasons of life, trying to become more mature. And apparently, according to the New Testament, these two passages, it's about just gaining some basic morality and character and virtues. So we work on this sort of thing. Since the beginning, Christianity has had deep thinkers all the way from the 3rd century, whether beginning with Augustine or whether it, uh, we moved to John of the Cross a few hundred years later or Julian of Norwich, Francis of Assisi in the 3rd century, Ignatius in the 16th century, Teresa of Avila, same time, and even in the modern times, Soren Kierkegaard in the 1840s, Evelyn Underhill, C.S. Lewis, even up into the 1960s. Every one of these great Christian writers and thinkers and saints have talked about there are stages in the progress of the Christian faith. Changes take place. They aren't necessarily bad, and then you move out of it, but they are predictable stages that people tend to move through. And so, like Jason said, we want to take you through these, and you can find out kind of where you're at these days. And that would, that's the whole point of this morning. You ought to grow up. You ought to be growing. So here's this presentation. The very first one is over here on the right. And for the podcast people, I'll just describe these. There are six placards up here. One, the first one is a light bulb. The next one has some footprints on it. The next one has some gears on it. The next one has a a magnifying glass on it. The next one is an open hand. And the last one is a heart. So let's go to the first one. The discovery one is the light bulb. Everybody begins with discovery. Everyone has the light come on. Everyone suddenly realizes, even if you were raised in a Christian home, you suddenly realize, you know what, I believe for myself, not because my parents believe or my grandmother believes or because the church says to believe. It's me and Jesus. Jesus and I, I'm in a relationship with him. It's my relationship. And the light comes on and says, I didn't realize that God died, that Jesus died for me alone, that God loves me. It's mine. No matter what I've done, just as I am, I come. It doesn't matter. And perhaps for the very first time, you realize that you are incapable of saving yourself, that God's not interested in all of your good deeds. But what God's most interested in is just you. This happened to me one night when I was 16 years old in my bedroom in my parents' house. I fell down next to my dresser on my knees. I don't really like to pray on my knees, to tell you the truth. I think it's the first time I've ever done it in my whole life. And I fell on my knees, and I had this very sophisticated prayer that said, God, help me. But I meant it with every ounce of my soul, because I was at my wit's end. And I went to bed that night with suddenly a feeling that God cared for me. And I know it sounds corny and it sounds like TV evangelism or something like that, but a weight lifted off of me. Literally, it felt like some heavy thing lifted. And I woke up the next morning and it was still gone. And I felt like God was right there next to me. 
And the next day, that was the same feeling. And the next week, and on and on and on, I started to meet some Christian friends. And I started on my way. I started carrying a little New Testament Bible that I had around in my pocket. Have you had this happen in your life? Have you had sort of a, like an aha or a light goes on or sort of a, something comes crashing in? I mean, not just over and over, which happens in the Christian life. I'm saying some initial moment where you're like, I'm all in, man. God loves me. I'm going to love him back. That's where everyone begins. Sometimes it's real tame. Sometimes it's in technicolor. But nonetheless, that's where everyone begins. Then they move on to the footprints. And the footprints symbolize following Jesus in the master's steps. We move into a life of discipleship. At this next stage, we become all serious about following Jesus. We read books. We listen to podcasts. We got CDs. We got music. We figure things out. We just munch the Bible. You get picky about what version of the Bible you want. I want New Revised Standard. I don't want, you know, the New Living. I want the New American Standard and not the King James. I mean, you get all serious about this sort of thing. You begin to say, like, well, I know I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, and I know I'm not, you know, Baptist, and I know I'm not Catholic. I'm, I'm me. <laughs> and those are my people. I go to that church and not that church. You get real serious about what you believe, who you belong to, who you don't belong to, and what you don't believe. You get your doctrines down. You get your theology down. This is good stuff. I remember um, when I was uh, first getting into this sort of thing many years ago, and I'm actually not out of this stage very much these, these years anyway, I probably heard four different talks a week. I would go to various uh, groups and churches and so forth and listen to talks, listen to them over and over again. I had a three-volume set on the Gospel of John by Arthur W. Pink, a Scottish man from the 1930s. It was from my aunt's library. And when she died, we got her library. And I picked up these books. I, I probably read those things four times over, I bet you. Three, four times over. I was eating up everything. I probably read ten different C.S. Lewis books. Some of them more than once. I still read them. My prized possession were several boxes of books and my guitar, which I played um, at youth groups. And I helped lead worship. I would debate about anything. Constantly trying to sharpen my saw of the Christian life. I was all over it, man. Are you at this place? Are you eating up everything you can get? Because that's what the origins class is about. This is about like, let's get this stuff figured out, everyone. Let's get serious. I want to follow in the master's footsteps. I'm on it. It's time. So you get on that one. Now, next, in a really kind of logical progression, you move into the gears, and that's the productivity. The gears represent your productivity. What you begin to find out is you begin to find out that God has called you, that you have gifts, that you're special, that you can lead people, that you're good with kids, you can, you're good at music, you can sing, you know, you can build stuff, you can help. You can help the church, you can help ministry, and you're good at stuff. And you say, like, I'm in. I can lead people. I can get stuff going. I'd love to volunteer. I might even take a job or something like that. I can work in the inner city. I'm all about going to Haiti. I can do this stuff. 
I'm, I'm all about productivity. You feel the smile of God on your life because you have something to contribute. You take all sorts of spiritual gift tests, whether even something secular like Strengths Finders 2.0 like we do around here, or you actually do uh, when we teach gifts around here, spiritual gifts, you learn what your spiritual gifts are. And you set out a course to get this stuff going. You wake up each day with a calling and a purpose in life. Tonight, I have to go to church and I'm going to do this thing. I've got to work at respite care. I've got to go work with the kids on Sunday and stuff like that. You feel valuable because you're making a contribution. You're achieving things. Now, at this point, things begin to change. Jason, are you going to come up and talk about this point? He is now. I am now. Him up. now. Let's pause for a second here. And um, if here in the activity that he's describing fits might be where you are, then, then start thinking for just a moment about what you're most interested in. Now, keep in mind, you might be at multiple stages. As Dan said, he's somewhere down here probably, but he still sits here quite a lot these days. So it's kind of like a little scale. Some of them you might be um, somewhat interested, mildly interested, or some of them might not be interested at all in the activity that goes on. Let's take, I want to take a class. So we have this origins milestone that we talked about last week. That's where we're going to dive in and understand the root and the core of the faith. We're going to really sink in our teeth into Scripture and how to read the Bible. What is its overarching narrative? We're going to seek into the ancient creeds of the faith, the things that they said, who are we as a people? Are we not these people, but we are these people? Then that's all stuff that goes squarely in here. So you're probably going to say, if that's, you're like, yeah, I'm excited about that. I love classes, and I want to digest more of the Christian faith. I want to learn. I want to sharpen my saw. Then you put yourself as a three or four in that category. Okay, so let's just look at these first three for now. Want to take my first step? How interested are you in that? I want to take a class? How interested, how interested are you in taking some classes? And then finally, do you want to dream or scheme and get moving? That's some of the stuff from here. Maybe you want to start something new here at Lakeland. And think about that, and then Dan will keep going. Yeah, so you're supposed to, like, mark one. Of the That's right, so mark scale. one of these. One, two, three, or four. Yeah. Based on, on each interest one, level. You could do it on each one. That's right. Yes. But yeah, that wasn't clear. You can do it on each one of these. You probably yeah. have a different number for each. Yeah. It's just fine. Thanks, Jason. Well, now things take a turn. All of this has sort of been an up and to the right and ascendancy, and it's all, you know, you're cranking, it's all looking good. But then we have the magnifying glass, and this represents the inward journey. Somewhere along the line, eight years into it, 15 years into it, 20 years into it, maybe around midlife, usually around midlife, things begin to take an inward part. You've spent all these years learning. You've spent all these years producing, following in the master's footsteps, grinding out the gears. But suddenly, it's time for a closer look into your soul. Something begins to shift. Things change. And I'll just say this. This may come alongside the same moment when maybe one of your parents dies or you get a disease or you have to have an operation or you experience some loss or maybe you lose your job or maybe um, you're, you know, you're, something shifts in life. Maybe it begins to get dark and cloudy and you feel cheated and directionless Maybe you're angry deep down inside and you've been carrying around that anger and now it's starting to come to the surface. 
You thought you were supposed to be over this stuff, and you're getting kind of embarrassed at yourself because you get all heated and flushed in the neck and everything like that, and you're like, where's this coming from? I should be further along in my Christian journey than this. Why am I so judgmental? Why am I still angry at the people and how they drive around me and how they stand in the, you know, take up all the time in the checkout aisle and this sort of stuff? What's wrong with me? And you really don't know why. All of these gifts and all of your serving, you begin to say like, God, what was it all for? I put a lot of time and years into this stuff. Did it make any difference? But deep down inside, you begin to ask the most fundamental, serious questions. You begin to say, I'm not sure I really believe in God. And I don't mean like I'm an atheist. I just mean I'm not sure I believe in that God, the one I used to. I still believe. I just don't know what to call it. You stop doing the things you used to do. The Bible gets shoved off to the corner of the desk. The Christian music that you used to listen to, it just sounds corny to you now. This is the inward journey. Are you having a midlife crisis? Maybe. Suddenly, everything feels far away. But somewhere deep down inside, you feel like God has not given up on you. You just don't know how to turn and face God. You just don't know how to do it. Then comes the wall. The wall. The wall is a deep hole. The wall is a place where you can stop and get stuck. And I'll just say, you can get stuck there forever for the rest of your life. I kid you not. You can ditch out on church. You can ditch out on the faith. You can go off to your ivory tower or your deep pit or whatever it is, and you can wallow there. As a matter of fact, you can begin to fall in love with becoming a cynic of Christianity. You know better. You think you're the only prophet out there in the world who knows right and you're going to criticize everything. Anybody says anything about Jesus, you say like, well, I'll tell you what. This is what I know. This is the way it is. This is the truth. And you begin all your conversations that way. You're cranky. But you think you're just being correct. It's like Forrest Gump. Remember that movie? My son, my 13-year-old now, that's his favorite movie, he says. Remember Lieutenant Dan strapped to the top of a mast to a sh- on a shrimp boat with a hurricane whirling all around him? And he's saying to God, is that all you got? And that day, Lieutenant Dan did business with God. Did business with God. Have you hit the wall? Are you stuck at the wall? Are you stuck there? You're not alone, you know. (laughs) If you begin to look at all the prophets of the Bible, whether it be Jeremiah, who feels like he never had one successful day of ministry in his whole life, whether, you know, and uh, whether it be Elijah, who defeats in all sorts of awesomeness the, the, 
the uh, prophets of Baal, the 70 prophets of Baal, and now humiliates Queen Jezebel, you know, who doesn't believe in Israel's God, and she's going to chase him down and kill him. He's hiding in a cave. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Whether it be Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Anna, oh, don't forget Jonah, erped up by a big fish running from God. All the way to the end of the book, you never know how it turns out for Jonah. Is he stuck at the wall? Maybe. Because God wants to forgive Jonah's enemies, and Jonah can't handle it. Big or small, you're going to hit the wall. That's what I say. I hit the wall, too. I felt it coming for years, and it's a long story, and it's a puzzling story. And at the risk of too much information, it went something like this. The year was 2001. And I was standing on the 19th floor of a hotel in Chengdu, China, room 1923, looking out of a large plate glass window at a city of 13 million Chinese people that I didn't even know the city of Chengdu even existed. Looking out at the smog in, in the noonday, and you can't see the sun just because of pollution. And I'm holding a 12-month-old little girl who is my new daughter, saying the only Chinese words I knew, buku bao bao, buku, buku bao bao, over and over and over while both of us sobbed. I sobbed because suddenly come crashing in on me is all the decade of infertility, all the loss of life, and I couldn't understand it. And the little girl in her 12 months of life had now been through several changes and loss after loss after loss. And now some strange man's holding her. And she can't stop crying. Well, life went on. I went back to work and we swept all that under the rug. And then a few years later, it went through me like a knife. Some call it burnout, whatever. But nonetheless, I began to get stuck at the wall. And it wasn't turning out well. I realized at that point, after going to counseling and so forth, that the reason why I was stuck here is because of my same abandonment issues. Not as bad as my little girls, of course, or many of you. But that's what was going on. Stuff I still, still, still deal with. What about you? When it's late at night and you're driving home, the radio's off, the wind's blowing through the window, what do you think about? You feel like your life counts? You feel like you're making a difference? Do you, th- do you want to trash your faith? Are you stuck? They say, the old timers say, that when you're digging a well, like by hand, In the middle of the day, when you're at the deepest part of the well and you look up, you can see the stars. In the middle of the day, you can look up and see the stars in a deep hole. Because somewhere in here, something has to happen to where you stop looking down and you look up and you see the stars in the middle of the day from a deep well. That's how you get out of the wall. It usually takes a spiritual director's voice. But that's how you move into the outward journey, which is this open hand over here. This open hand 
that the number one word for this would be acceptance. You begin to accept the fact that you cannot change your destiny or your life. You begin to accept the fact that maybe you're not going to be a millionaire. You begin to accept the fact that maybe your marriage isn't going to be an A+. You begin to accept the fact that maybe you're not going to be quarterback for the Patriots or something like that. You know what I mean? You begin to accept life. You begin to realize with a slight smirk on your face, I call it the divine smirk, that you know what? You're just not all that. That all the books you read and all the theology and all this stuff you fought and debated on, you know what? It doesn't matter. You begin to live light. You begin to say, it's okay. You know what? God just loves me. I'm fine with everything. I no longer live by a roadmap. I live by a compass now. I'm in a bright fog. I have no idea where I'm going, but I have direction. Others have helped me out of the hole. And I begin to realize it doesn't really matter. Each day is a gift. Every small thing, every leaf, every fall leaf, every you know, animal out there, every person in the checkout line, they're all a gift. You stop judging. This is the meat that Paul's talking about instead of the milk. To begin to lay down your arms and say, I'm not going to fight anymore. Now, does this, is this break like real clean and clear? Like, yeah, you never go back over here. No, not true. You cycle through these. You'll run back to the wall. You'll get all flush all of a sudden like so-and-so. They did that to me years ago. And now you're all angry about it again. Then you're like, it's okay. It's okay. It's just calm down. Everything's fine. It's a perfectly safe place to be right here, right now. That's the outward journey where you begin to accept things. You start to hold life loosely. Your heart expands for everyone. Your anger is replaced by a self-deprecating humor and a smirk. Everything becomes light, mostly because of this. You once again go all the way back and realize that God accepts you just the way you are, but now you can accept everyone else just the way they are. And that's the add-on. Finally is the life of love. And you know what? All the experts and the saints and all these famous people I was mentioning earlier, they really don't talk about this one much. One, either they never have got there, which is totally fine, But my hunch is, the life of love, this heart over here, the people who are there, they don't write about it. They don't care. They don't have any gears of productivity to talk about it. They don't really care. They love out of their being, not out of their talents, not out of their crankiness, not out of their knowledge base, not even out of their emotions. Do you know that in Mother Teresa's autobiography, she said for the last 40 years of her life she didn't experience God? The media grabbed that and freaked out. They said, Mother Teresa doesn't believe in God for the last 40 years of her life. I mentioned this to the monks up at Conception Abbey, the Benedictine monks that I hang out with, sitting around. They all just did this. They go, mm-hmm. They had their smirk on. They're like, mm-hmm, that's right. Shrug the shoulders. Eventually, Christianity, the faith, becomes not a feeling. It becomes your being. It's who you are. 
The classic title for this is called Union. Union. You're in union with God. You're like, wow, that's kind of making a big statement. You don't do out of your gifts. You, you do out of your being. You can love anyone. It doesn't matter. You could die for Christ's sake, and it's just fine. You could be a martyr. It's just fine. As a matter of fact, heaven is around you so much. You're so awash in heaven that it feels like one and the same with being in heaven. You don't even need to go anywhere. You're already there. You already feel like you're, like you're more in heaven now than if you would have to die and go somewhere. So stay is fine. Go is fine. This is the end game, everyone. This is where you want to get to. This is the meat that Paul's talking about. A place where you no longer judge, you no longer quarrel, you no longer play favorites. Morality is just fine. You just love. That's what the classic ones have all talked about. Where are you at these days? Where are you at? If you're stuck at the wall, you're going to need to talk to somebody. But which one are you at? When you look at the card, which one are you at? Where are you on these sort of things? All of these stages are necessary, everyone. Some are more amplified than others. Sometimes you'll be here and you'll go running. You'll be over here on the outward journey, this acceptance, and you'll go running all the way back to picking up one of your original theological books that you started reading, some commentary on John. That's okay. It's okay. That's just the way the Christian life goes. That's the way it works. This is how we grow. And this is how we get through the Christian life. Jason? You know, one thing we want to do <clears throat> is be there for each other. The point of milestones is if this is the path that we tend to go on, that they've been saying for centuries, then how could we get on this path together? Because nobody should walk something like this alone. If you want to take out your cards, I want to talk a little bit about about my story, just briefly, I know I probably sit, you know, around in here somewhere. So if I were to mark these cards, certainly I look down at number four and it says, I want to go on retreat and I keep signing up for those, right? So I kind of think, well, I'm probably in that stage. And if I think of some of my life experiences, um, certainly before I went on sabbatical a few years ago, I was definitely at a point where I was just like, the church has got it all wrong, which implied that I had it all right, of course, you know, uh, we're not doing the things we're supposed to do. I don't think people are questioning God appropriately. Like, you know, there's a lot of questions we need answered around here. So I was swimming in here. But then after a sabbatical, after being in solitude and retreat for, for four months, for a brief moment, I remember coming back and coming back and seeing church activity. And on my sabbatical, I visited all kinds of different churches, see what everybody's doing. I remember coming back and saying, it is all good. The work that we do here, the work that's being done there, it's good. And that lasted maybe a month, and I snapped back all the way back here. So for a brief moment, I got to taste what acceptance might look like. But most of the time, swimming around down in here. And so if that's what you, um, you know, if you're feeling, wherever you are in the stages, go ahead and take a moment and fill out this card. What I'm going to do with this is it's going to be my job to help resource people down the road or kind of call people and say, hey, let's get together. Hey, people that kind of have identified themselves in this period, somewhere on this faith journey, let's get together and do something 
And those will be the various milestones that we saw on that map so earlier. you want people to turn this in, so the contact info is important. To That's right. That. So, yeah, if you want to fill out your contact info, we might have it in Lakeland Connect, but, but go ahead and at least put your name on there if you're sure you're in Lakeland Connect, or if you want me to update your information, put that on here, and then fill out this based on these numbers. So if, if you put yourself as a three or four on retreat, then the next time Dan offers the Inward Journey Milestone, then I'm going to try to contact you via whatever contact you said on here or through Lakeland Connect. You'll get an email and um, a phone call, and we'll just say, you know, hey, you know, you kind of, because you do understand that this thing will go for years. This isn't some overnight quick journey, right? We have one milestone coming up for this stage of faith, and each year we're going to try to offer a milestone for each stage of faith, but it might take you 10 years to get through some of these. And your kids also remember, if you have children, they're on their own faith journey of milestones. So one year, you might come and do the origins milestone for your own spiritual growth. The next year, you might bring your kid to their first communion class. And that's the milestone that you do. One season per year to push ourselves and just walk together on one path. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So when you're done, take these cards and hand them to the ushers in the back, and I'll be back there too to answer any questions. Okay, that's good. Well, everyone, let's turn a corner and head towards the Lord's table. It's time for communion, so if the servers want to come forward, that would be good. This is our one moment where wherever you're at, on wherever you're at in your Christian faith, whatever stage you're in, this is the one cup, the one loaf that we all belong to. For those of you who are stuck here at the wall and so forth, just get over yourself and come on forward. It's just fine. Of course, most of you aren't here this morning because you're so fed up with church, so I'm not really talking to any of them. But nonetheless, if you kind of have an inkling towards that, then just get out of your seat and come. There's magic in getting your body into your soul. So get up and walk forward. It'll be just fine. It's good. Try not to be too cynical about it. For the rest of you, be very excited. This is a great moment where we remind ourselves once more for the week that we are fed by spiritual food and we go out into the world as a light and as salt in the world. This is our reminder, together, eating from the one loaf and from the one cup, that that's how important that is, and that's what our mission is. So on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, he said, this is, uh, giving thanks, he said, this is my cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. This is my sacrifice. Eat this bread and drink this cup for as often as you do. You remember my sacrifice. You remember my death until I come again. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. And I mean pray. This is the most common prayer, and it covers everything. And we do so well to say it all together. So join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, hallelujah, the gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to us as this food and drink. Come forward whenever you're ready, tear off a piece, dip it in the chalice, consume it right there. You may kneel around a cross or go back to your seat, and we'll wrap things up in just a moment. Come. 
And now, Lord, you have fed us with spiritual food, and very real is your presence. May we hold this dear until next Sunday. May we go out of here being people who have been fed by your Spirit, able to be salt and light to a world that seems so broken and so angry and so frustrated at times and so hopeless. And yet, Lord, you send us out to be hope and to be clear and to be love. May we be those people. May we be Jesus for this coming week to everyone around us, our children, our spouse, our best friend, schoolmates and workmates, everyone we run into. May we see your face and their face. And we look to you and see God. In the name of Christ, and we all said, Amen.